0: What is the process of purchasing a property in Australia? How does it differ between states? What are the rules around auctions? My name is Dan. Welcome to the Passive Income Doctor podcast. Just a reminder this podcast is for entertainment purposes. Nothing here is financial advice. Please speak to your trusted professional advisors. Views expressed by podcast participants are solely their own. Today's episode will be focused on the actual mechanics of purchasing a property, the kind of process, and also I explain some of the terms involved. So um, for those of you that are not interested, um, may want to skip this episode as it's a little bit dry. Um, you know, for those that are interested on, you know, how to select the right type of property, see the episode Property Investing for Doctors. Um, so basically, this episode will be useful for those who have obtained finance from the bank or the mortgage broker. They've seen a property they've liked, and now we talk about what happens next. We will cover negotiating with the agent, the building and pests and finance clauses, pre settlement inspection, and if it's for investment rather than living in, then we talk about you know advertising for tenants choosing property managers um, and of course, finally, settlement day. Basically if you haven't been through the purchasing process before, um, definitely can seem very daunting, you know, that's a um, lot of jargon, you know, not everybody buys property all the time. I will say though, obviously the rules and processes differ between states so, um, you know, do some reading online. There's good resources either from the real estate institutes or from, you know, government, you know, Department of Fair Trading or Consumer Affairs if you're Victoria. Um, And also you can talk to um, a legal advisor, solicitor, conveyancer as well. Through my personal journey and also helping families and friends, um, I have experience with purchasing process in three states, New South Wales, Queensland and Western Australia. So, I'm going to talk about New South Wales predominantly just because that's my home state um, and to be more familiar with that. So, Sydney and Melbourne, um, so Sydney in New South Wales and Melbourne in Victoria, you know, these are more kind of auction centric uh, cities compared to other places in Australia. So, a typical campaign. you know, leading up to auction is, you know, four to six weeks. Although the trend in recent years that is that they've been shorter due to many factors, such as, you know, being a very hot market in 2021, uh, COVID restrictions, things like that, that have often uh, shortened it. So often the selling agent might bring forward the auction date if there's many, you know, pre-auction offers and it's just getting a little bit uh, difficult or time consuming for the agent to present these offers and they just think it's just easier to just bring forward the auction. Uh, remember, the real estate agent is acting in the best interest of their client, which is the seller and not you as the potential buyer. So obviously, they're trying to get the best purchase price for their vendor. So you can't really rely on what they tell you as fact. You need to do your own homework, do diligence. Um, you know, if they say, oh, this structure, this share, this pool, meets council approval or, you know, I think you can build a granny flat at the back. You can't just take their word from it. You might need to talk to council or a town planner, do your homework. Other things that you need to do your homework is building and pest report. Um, You know, sometimes the vendor will have commissioned their own report, but, you know, best if you get your own. You should check with council, as I said, whether carports, pools, Approve, uh, make sure there's no outstanding council rates. Um, check with um, also, as well, there's no outstanding land tax. All properties, even brand new, have defects. So it's kind of expected that there will be something identified in the building and pests. It's just whether it's comparable to um, age, like similar properties of the same age, and also whether it's acceptable to you or not. You know, for example, some people might be completely turned off by termite, but then you know you can assess how bad is, is it and what extent. And you could also argue as well if you know uh, if you're buying the property to knock down and develop, then you know you might not really care about the you know structure of the building. If it's an auction, there's no cooling off period. Often when you sign a contract, in New South Wales. There's about a five-day cooling-off period where you can change your mind, but in auction there's no cooling-off period, so you need to do the do all the due diligence beforehand, including the building and pest finance. So let's say you're the successful um, bidder, but then you're unable to complete the sale, you can lose your 10% deposit, um, which is a lot of money, you know, if we're talking about one million, two million dollar purchase price in Sydney. And not only that, though, a lot of people don't realize that you can also be sued for damages. For example, say you signed the contract for a million dollars and then subsequently you pulled out, fell over, and then the market turned and the vendor sold to someone else for 900000 you could be sued for that $100,000 shortfall. So definitely just be careful. In New South Wales, bidders, is, bidders need to register. And you'll be given a copy of the bidder's guide. Basically, the highest bidder wins it or is the buyer if it's more than the reserve price. So what is the reserve price? The reserve price is the minimum price that the vendor is willing to accept on auction day. And the auctioneer can make one bid on behalf of the vendor. They will tell you that it's a vendor bid. The auctioneer cannot accept a bid that happens after the fall of the hammer. So, you know, I've seen before, you know, some people try to leave it to the absolute last second to bid, but that's quite risky as if the hammer falls before, then, you know, you've basically lost the property even though you were prepared to pay more. Sometimes you might want to offer pre-auction, you know, often in a hot market, it might be in the buyer's interest to avoid the auction environment um, with so many registered bidders and, you know, FOMO, fear of um, missing out. However, in a slow market, you know, maybe better to wait till auction day, you know, even if the selling agent invites you to make offers beforehand, Um, you know, so you might do this strategy if, you, you know, you can tell there's not much interest and there's not many other bidders on auction day, then you could perhaps purchase the property for a lower price or if the vendor had kind of unrealistic expectations, then, you know, that silence on auction day can be a way for the selling agent to explain and show to the vendor that you know the market um you know is showing that they might have unrealistic expectations on the price they wanted and even if it passes in you know the vendor might come down on the res- um their initial reserve price so auctions can be you know extremely highly charged and there's many auction strategies um which probably is the outside scope of this episode But definitely, I've seen so many times where, you know, obvious that the bidders did not have a set price before entering the auction, which I think is kind of a recipe for disaster. You know, you can often pay way too much or you kick yourself after the auction uh, when you said, oh, actually, I would have paid a bit more. So if you didn't consider all the scenarios beforehand, um, then you're at a disadvantage. Also as well, the auctioneer is trained to read your body language to try and extract um, out from you higher than what you might have initially deemed suitable to pay. Um, you know, often they'll go, you know, oh, 1000 more, don't lose it for 1000 um, things like that. So before we touched on the cooling off period, if you're buying by private treaty, um, and that starts after exchange of contracts, 5pm, 5, five business days after the exchange of contracts. Um, longer period applies to off-the-plan purchases. Often in a hot market, the vendor will request that you, as the buyer, waive your cooling-off period. You know, so you might say, "Oh, that seems a bit risky." But I guess you think about it also from the vendor's point of view. You know, if this buyer, potential buyer, changes their mind five days later, they might lose the momentum of the sales campaign. And if there were kind of other backup potential buyers. They might have lost interest or they might have um, seen something else, they liked and purchased something else. So they often, the vendor or the um, selling agent will request the buyer sign what's called a 66W certificate in New South Wales. Basically, it waives the cooling off period. You then put in your 10% deposit. um, But yeah, you need your solicitor conveyance conveyancer advice uh, for them to issue this 66W certificate and to advise you about the implications. And we talked about this exchange of contracts. You know, that's when it's actually legally binding. Um, lots of people caught out. they just think, oh yeah, the selling agent told me this price, I've put it price, I've signed it, you know, it's a done deal. That's um, not necessarily the case. So the, verbally the selling agent, you know, might accept it, but there's a chance of what's being called gazumped. Uh, where suddenly someone else offers a high price and they ditch your offer and basically signing an exchange with someone else's offer, leaving you without the property. And yeah, gazumping is legal. A sales agent is obliged to present all the offers in writing to the vendor at any stage prior to exchange and they have to, as, as we said before, act in the vendor's best interest. Um, it's also worth noting though that it's not always about price. Sometimes the selling agent m- might advise the seller to accept an offer. Um, might not necessarily be the highest but it might have more favourable terms. So settlement in New South Wales is six weeks or 42 days after exchange of contracts. The solicitor or conveyancer will check your identity, um, what's called verification of identity. You know, they'll check you have either citizenship or permanent residency. So why is this um, relevant? So foreign buyers need approval from the Foreign Investment Review Board or the FIRB and provide details of their citizenship and visa status. Foreign buyers pay a higher stamp duty um, in all states, I believe, but including New South Wales. So the stamp duty or transfer duty... Surcharge of eight percent, which is huge, you know on a two million dollar purchase, the stamp duty for Australian um, citizen purchaser would be around a hundred thousand, but if you're a foreign purchaser, it's two hundred and fifty thousand, which is quite a significant amount of money so in recent news though um, I came across that revenue New South Wales is um is saying that the surcharge transfer duty and surcharge land tax is inconsistent with Australia's double tax treaties with New Zealand, Finland, Germany, South Africa. And as a result of this, they will cease charging the surcharge um, duty or land tax as well on citizens of these countries immediately and has committed to refunding any surcharge duty land tax paid on or after 1st of July, 2021. So watch this space. So settlement in the old days uh, was a bit more uh, clunky and you know it's now all moved to electronic, which is more streamlined. Um, often they use PEXA, which is basically an electronic workspace. So in the lead up to settlement day, there's a few things that needs to be done. So your solicitor or licensed conveyancer will check the accuracy of all the documents and financial information as well. Um, they do the checks, you know, such as any outstanding, uh, land tax, wa- um, water bills, council rates, um, and they make adjustments depending. Um, you know, for example, if the seller has already prepaid one year of council rates, and, you know, you purchase it kind of three months into the year, um, then I guess you have to kind of refund the seller nine months of the council rates where you're going to be the owner rather than them so on settlement day your solicitor or conveyancer will then electronic sign off all the relevant documents and financial settlement numbers you know pay out different parties such as the banks usually or not usually but often the fees for the settlement to pay the solicitor or conveyancer is often kind of taken out as well if the finances are electronic, dispersed as directed and authorised and the relevant documents is, are lodged at the New South Wales Land Registry, um, you know, this is, you know, talking about transfer titles as well. So as I say, I'm not a legal expert. Um, so definitely, if you want kind of more information, you definitely can ask your solicitor on conveyancer. But basically, all gets done and often you get an email after saying, you know, congratulations, settlement has occurred. There were a few things I've uh, left off, um, which is the pre-settlement inspection. So some people say you should do it a couple of days before. Some say you should do the morning of settlement. I mean, there's pros and cons to both. You know, if you do the this pre-settlement inspection sooner, there could be time to fix stuff. Um, but then also as well, after you inspect it, then maybe a few days later, you know, something else gets damaged, window gets smashed or... You know, hailstorm or something like that. So that's kind of a risk. Basically, the purpose of this inspection is to check that it's in the same condition as when contracts exchange. So you're not nitpicking, saying, "Oh, you know, you know, kitchen bench looks a little bit dirty" or stuff like that. If it was in the same condition as when you signed, um, you know, that's that's what is the standard. Um, so yeah, I guess you're looking for stuff like if a window has smashed. You know, if there's any fixtures that was agreed would remain, such as the dishwasher, curtains, light fittings, um, make sure they're still there, not taken out. Um, Also as well, if there's any kind of significant amount of rubbish, you know, like, you know, shed panels or, you know, large kind of bulky furniture or um, rubbish, you know, these would have to be fixed by the seller or you can negotiate a reduced sale price. Know maybe a few hundred, few thousand dollars, depending what it is. Um, if it can't get fixed, I guess in time for settlement. So they talk about this term of like time is of the essence. So you know, minor things sh- um, shouldn't delay settlement. Other things that you can check in your pre settlement inspection are making sure the NBN box is there, appliances are in working order. You know, oven, aircon, power points. Um, cooktops, are the toilets flushing, are the fans working, is the hot water working. Um, I think I've had a property manager perform a pre-settlement inspection before and um, they must have not checked the cooktop was working and then, you know, after settlement, you know, found out that's not working, then obviously um, you as the new owner, it's kind of your cost. So that pre-settlement inspection is quite important either doing it yourself or having someone you trust, um, you know, if it's interstate, it could be a property manager. In the contract of sale, the seller is required to ensure the property is in the same condition as it was on the day of sale, except for fair wear and tear, you know. If the dishwasher is broken prior to the sale and isn't agreed and outlined in the contract of sale prior to signing, then the vendor's kind of no obligation to fix it. So now we've settled, you've got your congratulation email, um, the selling agent will give you the keys or they'll give it to your property manager if it's an investment property. Woohoo! So kind of then you kind of talk about, um, you know, rental advertising. If it's an investment, sometimes you can negotiate with the selling agent or the selling side conveyancer to be able to advertise um, the photos or the full rent prior, which can be quite good. And I've also heard of instances where you can um, say you wanted to do certain renovations can obtain early site access. Um, usually they probably won't allow you to kind of do works as such, but it could be, you know, getting trades to quote and, um, and stuff like that. And I've also heard of, uh, you know, say you can negotiate in the contract of sale, you know, the ability to do one open house prior to settlement. For prospective tenants. But again, it depends on the market, depends on how badly you want the property, also how accommodating the seller and the selling agent are. So let's briefly talk about Queensland and Western Australia. But overall, you know what are some key differences that jump to mind in Queensland? You no, know, less likely for the property to go to auction. It's not a really auction-centric market. In a slow market, you can use the building and pest report to negotiate the price down. Often you might itemize up the things identified in the report and ask the seller to re- um, reduce the sale price by that amount. But important to understand that they have no obligation to accept that. Although in a slow market, they might worry that might not get another buyer as easily. So they may accept. They might counter offer lesser amount as well. So in Queensland if you you know have the subject to building and pest clause which is pretty standard you can also pull out of the contract if there are structural issues you know they talk about major structural damage or severe termite infection are kind of examples of what's considered reasonable to terminate the contract you know you get your get out of the contract and get um, deposit back however in western australia you cannot negotiate the price of sale down after the building and pest, even if there are structural issues. You can't pull out either without the seller's permission. So it can be quite a daunting process, you know, to kind of choose how much should I put in as an offer price initially, not knowing if there are any obvious structural issues. I guess if they're obvious, you know, you might factor that into your offer price but it is... Um, I mean, you could argue Western Australia is um, not as friendly to the buyer as compared to, for example, Queensland. Sometimes sellers, you know, or the selling agents, they might prepare their own building and pest report to kind of allay any concerns. But again, you cannot 100% rely on this report as the report is commissioned by the seller and not by you as the buyer. So in the instance in WA where there is structural issues, identify the building pest report the buyer can serve the seller with a structural defects notice and then the seller has the option of either fixing the problem um, and then settlement or if they don't agree to fix the issue, then they can allow the you as the purchaser to terminate contract. So what are some take-home tips from today's episode about the process of purchasing property in Australia? So it depends on each state's so you definitely want to use a conveyancer, a solicitor, a settlement agent who knows what they're doing, who is based in the state where this property settlement is going to occur. I've heard of some kind of horror stories about um people having a family friend who says, Oh yeah, I'll help you with another state, but it's it's really suboptimal. You kind of want an expert and you don't want to um make a mistake with this uh crucial high value purchase. Thanks for listening to today's show. Please take a moment now to hit the subscribe button and share the podcast because this will help others benefit also. So until next time, keep taking steps to improve your financial health.